We celebrate that. I think being able to celebrate and honor those who, who give and who do is one of the most important things you know, we can do because it's, being affirmed is not our norm, is it? We're used to being critiqued. We're used to being told what we could do better. We're used to be told how our sermons could be shorter. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I, I'm grateful that so many of you all are giving all the time, just pouring yourselves out, sacrifice, selfless. And I think we have a, a picture of that with our character today. Just keep in the mind, back of your mind the, the idea of selflessness for this whole sermon because we're about to hear a lot from the Bible and we're gonna talk about it, all right? We're gonna start with 1 Samuel 18, one through five. We're gonna encounter scripture three different ways this morning. The first is, it's gonna be on the screen. So I'm gonna read it and you can read along with me. You can watch what's going on. The second, I'm gonna read another part of scripture and it's not gonna be on the screen. So you're gonna have, have to listen, try to hone in. And the third, I'm just gonna to try to tell the story that is within that last group of texts because these are all stories about Jonathan, the character of Jonathan. All right, so here we go. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. All right, we're gonna go into the next story. It's one chapter later. And I invite you to either close your eyes or just listen intently as we hear from the scripture. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David, and he warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you, and I will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was once again with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such a force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. So Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. And our last story is at the end of the text of 1 Samuel. This is the end of 
the reign of Saul and the transition to the rise of King David. I'm just gonna paraphrase it for us. Saul and his sons went out to fight the Philistines. When they got there, they already knew it was a losing battle, so they fled. As they were fleeing, the Philistines caught up with them. When they caught them, Saul did not want to be taken, so he threw himself on his own sword after he witnessed his sons being slain in battle. Thus came the end of Saul's reign as king. It's kind of a, a graphic ending to a book of the Bible. But all these stories, they're interconnected and they all have Jonathan as a major figure. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said? Amen. So we have heard from scripture But sometimes as a preacher, um, I think that my role is just to try to help expand upon what we've heard. It's not necessarily to bring all sorts of new things, but it's to help us see the things that are there in the stories. And that's why I like this series. This series is all about just hearing the stories of the Bible, particularly stories that go untold. We all know about the stories of David and Goliath, maybe even of David and Bathsheba. But there's some people behind the scenes that made King David who he was. And without them, we would never have the figure that we do. And so the three things I hope this series can help us experience and live into is to learn more about these stories as I just present them to us. It is to recognize that we are not who we are on our own and to realize that there's a deep humanity to the characters in the Bible that we often put on a pedestal. Because no one in the Bible and no one in your life and not even you are who you are without the help of other people, even if sometimes we don't realize it. And so as we reflect on these three stories we just read about, we are given a picture of one of the most genuine friendships in the Bible and really in all of literature. David and Jonathan's story has been told and retold in a lot of different ways throughout history. This story of, of deep care for a friend, of trust, of loyalty, I originally planned to do the whole series on David and Jonathan because there's so much within 1 Samuel about these two. But then I decided, you know, as we were talking, there's more characters than just Jonathan that helped make David who he was. And so I really um, wanted to spend this whole day focused on this unlikely friendship. As we were sitting, or as I was sitting through this text and thinking about the connection of these stories and how to tell it, I thought, well, I'll just read the first first text and we'll just talk about that. But, But there's so much, right? There's almost... 12, 13 chapters, which is one of the longest relationships, friendships that you see in all the Bible between David and Jonathan. As we sit through these and we think through these, one of the things that I think um, is hard to communicate unless you're sitting with them reading them too, so I encourage you to go read these, is how tragic of a story this actually is. How sad of a story Jonathan's tale ended up being. Because if you think about it, um, other than, than Christ, Jonathan might be one of the most genuine people we encounter in scripture. There are other great people. There are other wonderful, selfless people. But Jonathan pours out of himself over and over. As we read these texts, I can't help but think 
that it was, um, as David was telling these stories later on in life, you know, these are all oral stories later written down, that he told these stories through his sense of sadness, through this lens of, of loss and love, because this great friend of his came to such a tragic end. Jonathan was David's best friend, and he died in the battle with his father, who he was loyal to till the end, fighting the Philistines, all the while while David was off fighting the Amalekites. One chapter before, you can hear about David's war with the Amalekites. And I wonder if in retrospect, as he's telling these stories, did he wish he was there? Was he wondering, could he have helped save Jonathan? Was he wondering if our armies had combined? Because at this point in the story, as I'll tell you, David has separated from Saul. David is away. He's got his own band of, of army, this small army. And I wonder if he has regret. And so the, the interesting thing about these stories is there's not one bad thing said about Jonathan. And here's the thing, like, we all have best friends. I've got best friends, and they can tell you lots of bad things about me. <laughs> Maybe if you think about your own best friends, you know, if you were to tell their stories, you'd be like, they're great. Well, they, they were late all the time, but they're great. I love them. But we don't have any of that of Jonathan. All we have about is his deep loyalty and his commitment to David and to his father. And so I just get this sense that as David is telling these stories to others to write down later on, and as people are reflecting on them, you know when someone, we have lost someone in our lives, a friend or a family member, we just keep focusing on those good things. We celebrate all the joy they brought to our lives, the wonder of our relationship with them. And I feel like that's what we have in these stories. We have David celebrating who Jonathan was and what he meant to him, the deep bond they had as friends, their adolescence and, and their commitment to one another. In fact, they even made like a covenant. That was that first story. That first story was right after David had killed Goliath, Saul brings him back to his house to live with his family. And in that very next moment, we see David meeting Jonathan. It's the first time that Jonathan is told to us who he is in the Bible. And after he finishes talking to Saul, after David finishes talking to Saul, it says that Jonathan became one with David in spirit. And he loved him as he did himself. They went back to Saul's, king, Saul's kingdom. They went back to his palace. They went back to the place where this family lived. And the Bible said that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And this is really symbolic, but it's really important. The text says that Jonathan took off his robe, the robe he was wearing, he gave it to David, and he gave him his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. That's a really important point. We're gonna come back to it, but remember, he gave him all these things, the very beginning of their relationship. Over the next few years, David lived with Saul and his family, and he became a leader in Saul's army. He became popular with the soldiers and with the leaders and the commanders. People sang songs about David. They said, Saul has killed thousands and David has killed tens of thousands. Unsurprisingly, this makes Saul super mad. He gets jealous of David to the point where he tries to kill him. He's throwing spears at him. This man he's invited into his own house. And in that second story, we're shown how Jonathan tries to stick up for David. Saul wants to kill David. Saul even asks Jonathan to kill him. And Jonathan warns David gives him time to escape, and says, let me talk to Saul, let me talk to my father on your behalf. Even though I'm supposed to listen to everything he says because he's my dad, even though he's the king, this is what he wants. My covenant with you, my loyalty to you, let me try to reason with Saul. 
And so he does. He talks to Saul and he says, remember all these good things that David has done for us. Remember how he slayed Goliath. Remember how he has won these victories. Remember how he has done so much good for us. And he convinces him. Saul changes his mind. Saul, the guy who's throwing spears at David one day, the next day is saying, yeah, bring him back. Let him come back and live with us. And so he does, and Saul seems to, you know, give compassion to David, so much so that David ends up marrying one of Saul's daughters. Did you remember that? Michal? David marries one of Saul's daughters, and right after their wedding, right after their marriage, he ends up sending David off to another battle, and guess what? David does great again. So all of a sudden, the jealousy comes back. Saul begins resenting David again, and he's decided once again he's gonna kill him. And so at this point, David actually leaves. He flees, he runs away. And over the next like nine chapters, I really encourage you to read these stories. They're very, they're wonderful. But over the next nine chapters, David is living in other places. He actually lives with the Philistines for a little while. He's going about and he creates his own little army that that works with other armies. and, And he has two chances to kill Saul. Saul's chasing David. David gets him in a trap and David lets him go free. Two different times, Saul is at the mercy of David, and David has the mercy on him. And then at the very end of these stories, at the very end of Saul's life, I'm sorry, I keep playing, this keeps falling down, I apologize. At the very end of Saul's life, he and his sons go to a losing battle, and Jonathan stays by his father's side. Even though word is getting around about how great David is, even though he could have run away, even though he could have just left the scene, he decides, my loyalty to my father matters. I love my, he might be wrong, but I love my father. And so he stays with his dad until the very end and dies in a battle that they know they're gonna lose. And that's the end. That's the end of the the Jonathan-David relationship. That's the end of of the story. The next chapter of the beginning of 2 Samuel, David is finding out about Saul and Jonathan's death and is just overcome with grief, just weeping. He writes this whole song about how great Saul and Jonathan both are. And he makes everyone in Israel remember it. Later on when he's king, everyone sings this song about how wonderful Saul and Jonathan are. And when he gets to the place where the body was resting after the battle, he tears his clothes in mourning and cries for his best friend. And I wonder if that's the moment that sticks with him, that regret of not being there with him that longing to be back united with his friend. There's some epic stories in the Bible. Netflix, HBO, they've got nothing on these stories. Stories of of love, of friendship, stories of, of battles won and lost. But these stories, these characters go deeper than just telling us history. There's meaning in it. We believe that that This is the the word of God for our lives. Yo, I'm sorry. I I keep pulling it down in the back and it keeps falling down. This is, I'm I'm gonna tape it next week. I'm gonna tape it. These stories have so much depth to them that we read them not just as, that's a nice thing, cool to know, but we read these stories as, well, what do they mean for us? How do we experience these as an individual and as a community? What, what words do they have to speak into our life? Because I think these stories always do. We can discern them together. We can sit with them. And as we think about the tragedy of Jonathan, 
I think sometimes we are conflicted within our own self about how our lives sometimes mirror his. I think when we think about his conflict of loyalties, we can probably all identify and find ourselves there, can we not? He is loyal to his friend David. He is loyal to his father. And he has to balance the tension of what that means when they come into conflict. I remember during premarital counseling, and the thing I still talk about with couples when they go through premarital counseling is when you get married, you have allegiances to your family, and you have this new allegiance to your spouse. And when you pick your parents over your spouse, you better get ready for some tension and some conflict. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> I heard that. That was deep. There's a lot of us that can identify on that. But that doesn't mean we completely disown our parents. And it does not mean that we are always right. It means that we are journeying through this balance of tension, of these conflicting loyalties, both which matter. Maybe if you think about it another way, we, most of us have jobs that we work, and we also have families that we love, and we are constantly pulled back and forth at trying to be the best at both. How am I the best father, mother, grandparent, as well as how do I do my work with all my heart? How do I give others myself? Both matter, but sometimes conflict. When I've got meetings at night, sometimes three, four times a week, I've got to figure out how can I make sure that I give myself to my wife and my daughter at other times. We all have these conflicting loyalties, but it doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. How about in your own lives? How are you balancing those tensions? How are you being a good student as well as a good friend, a good family member, as well as somebody who participates in the community? Life is full of these tensions, these conflicting loyalties, neither of which, none of which are bad, and all of which we want to give ourselves to, but journeying through that is difficult. Jonathan, who's this great figure, he struggled with the same thing. And I don't think that there's just like one answer that's gonna be solved one day. That like one day I will balance everything perfectly. I think part of the journey of life is living in that tension, constantly addressing that balance, working and living through that. And so if you're looking, if you say, well, my life is not like their life because they have perfect balance. They've got everything figured out. That's not true. They don't. None of us do. We are all on this journey. And so if you're struggling with that, find comfort that you're not alone. You're not the only person who's trying to figure out how to be a good mother or father as well as a good employee or employer, a good Christian, as well as somebody who participates in other civic organizations. And the other thing this text helps us think about and the place where I want us to land this morning, it makes us reflect on the idea of theodicy. Theodicy is a fancy word. Theodicy really just means trying to understand why bad things happen in the world. Why does a good God allow for evil? Theodicy is something we all struggle with at various points in our lives, probably pretty regularly, I would guess. Even as a pastor, I always have conflictions in my, when I read the news, when I hear this heart, I'm like, God, why would you allow this tragedy to happen? If you are so good as we just sang, which we believe, how is it that these things can also 
take place. Why would you allow Jonathan, when he did nothing wrong, really he did everything right, he was a good son, he was a good friend, he supported both of the men who were, appointed, who were anointed as king, he did not betray his covenant, he did not abandon his father. God, why would you allow him to come to such a sad and tragic ending? It seems pointless. Where were you in that? This Thursday, this past Thursday, was the eighth anniversary of my grandfather's suicide. And every year I'm still asking, God, where were you in that? Couldn't you have done something? Couldn't you have stopped it? We all struggle with this. Just trying to figure out where God is in the midst of sorrow and hurt and longing. And as the sermon goes, I I wish I had time to sit up here and talk about the nature of free will. And I wish I had time to talk about understanding maybe God's self-limitation and all these theological concepts that, that we try to use to justify our feelings or explain them. But when you're in the middle of tragedy, when you're in the wake, in the, in the, the grip of grief, none of those things matter. I'm trying to just understand the, the perfect understanding. Because the hurt is so real. The pain is so deep. And, and I'm gonna just go ahead and guess that there's some people here going through that right now. Maybe something recently has happened in your life that make you wonder, God, where, where are you? Why weren't you there? Maybe it was recent, maybe it was just the other day, maybe it was years ago, and you, like me, still struggle with it at times. I would love to talk more about that with you. I would love for us to journey on that together because I might not have all the, the answers, but I think journeying together talking about it with others, being in community is how we live and work through that. And so this morning I leave you with with just a short story. There was a a parable in the books of Orthodox, the Orthodox heretic. And it was this woman who had lost her, her child, her daughter at a young age. And she was so overcome with grief that she just wanted her daughter back. And she went to all the religious leaders and said, can you help bring my daughter back? She lived in this small village and, and all the religious leaders in that village said, we can't help you, but we've heard there's somebody on top of the mountain who can, if you journey up there, he can, he can help you. And so she does that. She journeys up and she seeks out this man and she knocks on the door and she says, I've lost my child. They told me to come see you. They said you can help. Can you please help me? And he said, yes, I am the man you seek and I can help you. He said, but, but what I need is I need to be able to make a potion. I need to be able to make a concoction. And I have to have mustard seeds, mustard seeds from the house that has never been touched by the darkness that you have now experienced. I need, a, I need an ingredient that comes from a place that has never felt that sorrow. And so she gets excited. And so she goes back down to the village and she knocks on door after door and realizes that there's, there's not one house in the whole village to which the deep darkness, the sadness of loss and pain has not affected. And as she asks these people what they have experienced, she finds a space to share with them what she has. And as she shares the stories of her daughter, as she shares the stories of her experience, in that she is reconnected with her child. 
by remembering, by telling others, by journeying together, by being a community. And that's what we are. That's what we have to offer. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings, to give thanks to a God, to give us this space that we can say, I have questions, I'm hurting, and I need some help. And we have one another to do that. And so together we give thanks to God for it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this family. That when we have questions, we have people. That when we feel alone, you show us that we're not. We ask for your forgiveness for those times in which we have failed to to remember what is right. For those times we have failed to be an obedient church. Those times we have not heard the cry of the needy. Those times we have not done your will. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite our communion stewards to come forward as we prepare to receive from this holy table. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave it to the disciples after giving thanks to God. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to to God, gave the cup to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Let us pray. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine.